Healthy Hacker, Episode 7. and welcome to The Healthy Hacker, where we talk about programming, puzzles, memory fitness diet, and everything else that you, a healthy hacker, find interesting. Today, we have a voicemail from Jonathan in Portland, and he has a really good question about repetitive strain injury and how we can help prevent it as programmers. So we're going to learn all about RSI, some common myths, who's at risk, and why exercise plays a very important role in staying pain-free. Before we get to that, though, let's do the workout of the week. The workout of the week is a section where I take a workout that I've seen recently or that looks interesting or, in this case, a workout that's just appropriate for the episode and talk about it. And hopefully sometime this week, Everybody gets a chance to try it. I'm going to have to try it. Maybe you can try it. That would be fun. So this week, we are talking all about repetitive strain injury. And if you don't know what that is, stay tuned because we're about to talk about it. But all you need to know for now is as a programmer, there's a good chance that you will feel pain in your wrists if you do not have a good working environment. So the workout this week is going to help with the flexibility and the strength of our wrist to help reduce the chances of us getting strain injuries by programming. So what we want to do this week is go to the show notes at healthyhacker.com seven and watch a video I've posted by David Durante. He's a former USA Olympic gold medal gymnast, and he's going to explain a progression starting from nothing that'll get you to doing a wrist push-up. And if you've never seen a wrist push-up before, it's pretty cool looking. It's just like a push-up, but instead of having your hands flat on the ground, you have your hands flipped over and you're pushing yourself up with just your wrist. It takes a ton of strength and a ton of flexibility. So this week, we're going to just spend 15 minutes going through that push-up progression and stretching our wrists and just getting as far as we can and making them strong. And maybe if this looks fun to you, you can continue to come back to this and do it for a longer period of time to really build up that strength to get a wrist push-up. But the important thing that we're going to do this week is just stretch our wrists and get familiar with how we can stretch them and how we can make them stronger if we really want to get into doing that. So head over to the show notes, healthyhacker.com slash seven. Watch that video I've posted by David Durante. And if you're actually able to do a wrist push-up, let me know because I can't do it and I'm not even close. So it's kind of amazing if you can do one. That's it. Have fun. Good luck. Like I mentioned in the beginning of the show, we have a voicemail this week from Jonathan in Portland, and he has a question about RSI, or repetitive stress injuries. Hey, Chris, this is Jonathan from Portland, and I was working out a couple months ago on my deadlift, and we were doing long sets at uh, CrossFit Pearl District, woo and um, I was having trouble holding on to the bar for long sets, and so I decided to work on my grip because my grip wasn't strong enough. And um, listening to your podcast, I started thinking about repetitive stress injury and how we rely on our wrists for so much of what we do when we're coding, do so much typing. So I was wondering if you had any insight about how these two might interrelate, grip strength and also wrist health. So if you have any insight on avoiding RSI or if you've done any sort of work on improving your grip strength, I'd love to hear about it. Thanks. 
Hey, thanks, Jonathan. That's a really good question, actually. I feel like in the past few months, maybe even the past year or so, so many people I know personally have mentioned RSI and how they ex- think that they've experienced symptoms of it. And I've been feeling a little bit guilty because I don't exactly know what RSI is and what causes it and what you should look out for and how to prevent it and how to treat it and all that kind of stuff. It's just I haven't really paid attention to it. Luckily, I haven't experienced any extreme pains in my hands or shoulders or neck or anything like that. So I haven't had to figure it out the hard way. But I figured this is a great question and I've never heard anybody try to figure out if strength has anything to do with stress-related injuries. So I am going to take this week to explain what I've learned based on me Googling stuff and what friends have told me from their experiences with RSI and also some research I found that specifically relates strength in the wrists to pain in the wrist caused by stress-related injuries. So I'm not a doctor, obviously, but I'm not going to be mentioning anything super controversial here, so it's not that big of a deal. So let's start with just defining RSI because it's kind of an umbrella term that wraps up a whole bunch of things that all have different definitions. RSI is kind of a fuzzy term and sometimes people refer to things when they think it's RSI and it's not RSI. So first off, RSI stands for repetitive stress injuries. It could also stand for repetitive strain injuries. Both of those are the same thing. If you're looking it up in a medical book, You might also see something like cumulative trauma disorder. It's exactly the same thing. Those are aliases. You might have also heard of something like carpal tunnel syndrome, cubital tunnel syndrome. Those are both specific issues you might experience with your wrist. They are subsets of RSI. Remember, RSI is just a big umbrella term that wraps up all kinds of pain-related injuries that are caused by repetition and awkward positioning, and we'll get into that in a second, but other terms you might have heard out there, tendinitis, trigger finger, rotator cuff strain, tension neck syndrome, radial nerve entrapment, gamer's thumb, Emacs pinky, and Rubik's wrist, my personal favorite. All the puzzlers I know experience pain at some point when they are solving hundreds and hundreds or thousands of solves a day. It really takes a toll on your fingers. So how does this pain come about? Why does doing something over and over again make us hurt? Well, every motion that we make, those all kind of put strain on our soft tissue. And the soft tissue is all our connective tissue that connect our bones, connect our muscles to our bones, wrap our joints, make them safe, that kind of stuff. Every movement we make stresses that soft tissue a little bit. It's not that big of a deal. Usually when we're doing something, we stop long enough that our body is able to repair any of the damage we make. Like if you go work out at the gym and maybe you've spent 30 minutes in there and then you go home, you might be a little bit sore, but your body makes repairs quickly and the soreness eventually goes away. Repetitive stress injury is caused by doing something over and over and over again to the point where your body can't recover fast enough. You're damaging at a rate so quick that your body is not able to repair the damage to that soft tissue fast enough. It can't keep up. Now that soft tissue could be tendons, could be nerves, muscles, any fleshy movie thing that's inside your skin. Most people experience RSI in their neck or their shoulders or their forearms, hands, wrists, and elbows, the big important joints. Those are the ones where people experience RSI the most. It's usually super painful. It'll keep you up at night. And for programmers, it'll keep you from being able to write code. 
Now, we already talked about what causes RSI, and that is just doing something over and over and over again and stressing soft tissue so that it breaks down too quickly for your body to repair it. But other things like vibrations and awkward positions can also cause RSI. So even the act of just holding a mouse for your computer, you know, those little things that nobody has anymore, those little clicky mice that you might plug in with USB or plug in with a PS2 port, those are horrible for your hands because your hand is gripped in this awkward position. And the longer you hold that pose, the more likely you are to damage that soft tissue because you're contorting your fingers in a way that's not natural. Now, a lot of us don't use mice anymore, which is awesome, but we do use keyboards. And keyboards pose just as much of a risk if not used correctly. A lot of people, when they're typing, they rest their palms on their keyboard as they type. And this may not seem like a big deal, but if you look down at your hands when you do that, you're bending your wrist up. And that bent motion is putting stress on the soft tissue on the bottom of your wrist. It's stretching it more than it would be if it was in a straight kind of relaxed position, right? If you just look at your hand, if you lift your hand up in the air and hold it out there so it's in a straight line, you'll see your wrist just looks perfectly straight. Everything feels nice and soft and relaxed. And then if you put your hand on your keyboard and start typing and then put your finger under your wrist and on top, you'll see that everything is super tight, right? You're stretching that soft tissue, you're flexing your upper forearm, and doing that for eight, nine, ten hours a day, seven days a week, or five days a week, is going to cause damage that your body can't fix fast enough. So in programmers, it's really common that you experience stress-related injuries in your wrists because you're not using your keyboard correctly. Another place you might experience as a programmer pain is in your neck and in your shoulders. And there's a couple different things that could cause that. The most common is your desk being the wrong height. If my desk is super high, like above my belly button or something, and my arms are bent upwards because I need to be able to reach the keyboard, that's probably going to put more stress on my shoulders, right? Because I got to hunch my shoulders a little bit to get my arms up there. It doesn't feel like that big of a deal. But if you're flexing your shoulders all day long for eight, nine, 10 hours a day, that soft tissue won't be able to recover fast enough and you're going to start experiencing pain. Another reason we experience pain in our neck and our shoulders as programmers is our fonts are too small. A lot of people like to have these giant monitors, which is a great idea, but they keep the fonts teeny tiny. So in order to see them, you got to lean forward a little bit and you're doing it without even noticing. If you make your font really, really small, you'll automatically notice yourself leaning in to try to read what it's saying. It's a subconscious movement. But doing that all day long causes stress on the shoulders and on the back because you're kind of leaning forward, right? And that, of course, over eight, nine, or 10 hours every single day is going to cause stress-related injuries. Other things that I personally do that you may also do that may cause RSI is playing video games, right? Because we got to hold a controller in our hands. And if you're like me, when you play video games, you play them for a long time, so... Uh, pretty prone to RSI there, or solving the Rubik's Cube. Your hands are scrunched around this cube, you're flexing all your fingers, and you're flicking the cube around, and it's very awkward position for your hands to be in. So doing that for long periods of time will cause stress-related injuries. Now, besides the soft tissue damage that's happening, you may also be experiencing pain just because your muscles are tired. When your soft tissue is damaged, say in your wrist, your body automatically starts flexing all the muscles around your wrist, flexing the muscles in your palm, sometimes in your fingers, but definitely your forearm, and it's doing that to try to keep your wrist from moving 
so that you don't damage that tissue any further. So when that tissue does get damaged and your muscles start flexing automatically to keep that tissue safe, flexing for long periods of time is going to start hurting. It's just like if you take your arm and squeeze your bicep and then just sit there and hold it for as long as you can, you're going to start feeling it burning because it starts running out of oxygen and pumping lactic acid in there to keep it flexed. Well, the same thing happens at your joints. Your muscles flex in an attempt to keep you from moving so it can start healing that soft tissue and it's flexed for so long that it starts building up lactic acid and burning. And so then you start experiencing muscle pain as well. So RSI is kind of a gradual process. You barely know it's happening until it's already hit you. And the body trying to protect itself will make it hurt even more. The last cause of RSI, and this might be a little bit funny, but just knowing that RSI exists makes you more likely to experience RSI. It's very much a real pain, but there is a large psychological aspect to RSI. In multiple different studies, when employees of a company sat through a demonstration of RSI and explanations of what causes it and how it feels, reports of RSI went through the roof. In fact, even while I was just researching RSI for this show, I could swear that I was feeling pain in my wrists. Now, obviously I wasn't. Maybe I was. I don't know. But I was very aware the entire time as I'm researching of my posture and my back and taking breaks and all that kind of stuff. So just knowing that RSI exists already makes you more prone to RSI just because you're going to equate every pain that you feel in your body as you're using the computer as being RSI. So now that you know what RSI is, who is actually at risk for getting RSI? Well, traditionally, ever since the beginning of time, it's always been labor workers, athletes, musicians. These are people that use their hands or their legs or sometimes their backs all day long for very strenuous things. So gymnasts obviously put a lot of strain on their soft tissue. They're on the rings, you know, they're pulling up. They're on the parallel bars, slamming their elbows down over and over and over again. They're doing lots of complicated movements with their wrists, putting lots of strain on that. And they train for several hours a day. So athletes have always been susceptible. You might have heard tennis elbow, golfer's elbow, threader's wrist. These are all things referring to athletes. Well, I think threader's wrist might be referring to someone who sews. I don't really know. Uh, manual labor, construction, working with a jackhammer. Obviously, all that stuff is going to put strain on your soft tissue. But in the past few years, programmers have been added to this list as well, or people that stand behind a computer all day. Because even though we're not doing anything that's super crazy... Just the process of contorting our hands to fit on a keyboard and any bad ergonomics we might have causes long-term damage to our soft tissue if we don't deal with it. In addition to that, people who don't exercise, which is really common with programmers, are even more likely to experience RSI because their muscles don't get used. They don't relax and flex them and stretch them. They wake up, they walk to a desk, that has really bad ergonomics, they sit behind it for eight, nine, 10 hours a day, and then they come home again and sit on the couch. There's no relaxation or stretching or strength building or anything that happens to give their body a chance to recover. So knowing now that RSI is caused by doing something for a long period of time, pretty much anything for a long period of time, and we're all doomed to stand in front of our computers for 10 hours a day, five days a week, and use a computer, it sounds as though we're all doomed to get RSI, right? But we're not. There's actually 
a few things that we can do that'll prevent RSI to a good degree. I'm going to mention these things in the order that you want to do them. So if you haven't done the first thing, don't even bother doing the second thing because it's not going to have nearly as much as an impact. So the number one thing you can do to help prevent RSI is to exercise every day. Do something intense, something that makes you sweat. You want to move all your body parts and get all those stuck parts unstuck and break up lactic acid and build up your muscles so they don't get as tired as they would if you didn't exercise. Just make your entire body stronger so it can take a much bigger beating before it starts feeling pain. Once you got that down, and most people do, the next thing you want to do is set your desk at work to the correct height. Get that keyboard where it needs to be. This is super important. The most important thing about ergonomics. People always talk about these weird, crazy two-piece keyboards and awkward-shaped mice and all this stuff to improve the ergonomics, but if your desk is not at the right height, none of that's going to make a difference. In episode three, we had a voicemail where we talked about standing desks and the correct height those should be at and what kind of stuff you might want to think about when buying a standing desk. All that stuff applies to a seated desk as well. So check out healthyhacker.com slash three if you didn't see that episode. The key important bits to remember when setting up your desk height is you want your elbow to be at about 90 degrees. It can be a little bit less or a little bit more, but you want your arms to be out perfectly parallel to the ground. And what this is going to allow you to do is have parallel wrists while typing so they're not bent up and they're not bent down trying to reach that keyboard. And that's going to prevent any strain in that wrist, which is what causes that RSI pain. So now that you've got an exercise program and your desk is actually at the right height, so you're not bending your wrist all day long using your keyboard, you're already way better than most people that work behind a computer. You may never get RSI just with those couple things. But there are other things that you can do that are going to make it even less likely that you get stress-related injuries. The next thing you want to do is make sure you take breaks. And based on the things I've read... People recommend taking a break every 20 or 30 minutes. Now, for me, when I get in front of the computer and I start working on something, it's really hard to stop after 20 or 30 minutes if I get in the zone, right? So what you may want to do is set a timer. Set a timer for 25 minutes, set a timer for 20 minutes, and when it goes off, force yourself to leave the computer just for 5 or 10 minutes and then come back again and set that timer. You know, go get a cup of coffee, go use the restroom, take a quick jaunt. It doesn't need to be a huge break. Just take your hands away from the keyboard and put them back down to where they're relaxing and no longer contorted. And that's going to give that soft tissue a chance to rest and bounce back to where it needs to be. And your whole body's going to thank you for it. This is almost exactly the same as a Pomodoro technique. Now, I'll put a link to this in the show notes at healthyhacker.com seven if you want to check this out later. But the way it works basically is this. You look at all the stuff that you want to get done today, your to-do list or pivotal tracker or whatever it is you do to track the stuff that you want to do. You pick a task and then you set a timer. This can be a kitchen timer. It can be a timer on your phone, a specific Pomodoro technique timer. There's a hundred of them out there. You set that timer for 25 minutes and then you turn off all distractions Close your email, exit out of chat, mute your phone, and you focus on nothing but that task for 25 minutes. When that timer goes off, you stop and take a break. Go get coffee, go use the restroom, 
go catch up with some friends, whatever. Just make sure you drop everything you're doing and take a break. The argument here is this gives your brain a chance to relax and refocus and you know, give you a boost for the rest of the day. Well, it also happens to give all your soft tissue a rest, right? So it's beneficial in multiple ways. So when your break is done, go back to your computer. You just completed one Pomodoro, that 25-minute work cycle, and then the break is a Pomodoro. So now you look at your to-dos again, you pick a thing, and you do another one, just like you did before. Once you've completed four of these Pomodoros, You've probably been working for about two hours now because each is about half an hour. You take a longer break. So leave your computer, take a 30-minute break or a one-hour break. This could be lunch for you or dinner, whatever. And when you're done with that longer break, you go back to your machine and do four more Pomodoros. And that's going to be an eight-hour day. So that's the Pomodoro technique. People have found it really helpful for focusing and getting stuff done and being super productive because there's no distractions, there's no interruptions, you're focusing your time on a specific thing. But this technique also helps encourage you to leave your machine and relax your shoulders and your neck and your legs and your back and your wrists and all the things that are susceptible to RSI. So it's a perfect way to force yourself to take breaks, rest, and relax. So now, the chances of you getting RSI are pretty dang low. You're exercising every day. You're getting super strong. Your desk is the right height. Your wrists are not bent. They're not bent up. They're not bent down. So you're trying to not even strain there. And every 20 or 30 minutes, you're taking a break and giving all your soft tissue a rest. Any stress-related injuries you might have gotten have probably gone away. But there are still two more things that doctors recommend that you can do to even further decrease your chances of RSI. And these are kind of like icing on the cake, I would say. That other stuff seems way more important. But this is where you get into the things like ergonomic keyboards. You know, the split keyboards that are super concave that let you kind of slide your fingers in. It's like a futuristic spaceship thing. The keys are really light to the touch, so you don't have to push with your fingers as hard. A lot of people, when they first start experiencing RSI, go straight into the ergonomic keyboard and they skip all the other stuff, you know. Their desk is all out of whack. They're not taking breaks. They don't exercise. So this is really something that you should do last, I think, is go for that ergonomic keyboard. Like I said, icing on the cake. Your wrists are already not bending. So what these ergonomic keyboards will do that the keyboard, like, say, built into your laptop is not going to be able to do is it's going to keep your wrist laterally straight as well. So we talked about the benefits of keeping the desk at the right height. You don't bend your wrist up or down, but you are still possibly, while typing on a laptop keyboard, bending your wrists from side to side because you're having to reach inside the keyboard or outside the keyboard to grab keys. Like if I press the H key with my pointer finger, I got to lean my hand in a little bit to get my finger there. And if I'm pressing the, you know, single paren, which is all the way on the right-hand side of the keyboard, I got to poke my pinky out a little bit to get there. So the benefits of these split ergonomic keyboards is you can position them at an angle where you don't need to bend your wrists laterally at all. The keys are always where they need to be. So it's definitely beneficial, but not nearly as important as having the correct desk height. Another thing you can do to improve the ergonomics a bit, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, is to use a larger font because those teeny tiny fonts make you subconsciously lean into the monitor a little bit so you can see what the heck's going on on your screen. And that causes strain on your neck 
and on your back. Again, this isn't as important as the other stuff because if you're taking breaks every 20 minutes, you're getting that neck and back nice and relaxed again and you're stretching it out. It's not quite as important, but if you want to take it a little bit further, making that larger font is going to reduce that strain even more. So congratulations, you're no longer going to get RSI. Now, Jonathan, you had kind of an interesting spin on your question, and I've never really thought about this before, but you asked, how does grip strength relate to wrist health? If I have a stronger wrist, if I have stronger hand muscles, a stronger grip, does that make me less likely to get stress-related injuries in the soft tissue? Well, my first thought is probably not. It seems to me that strength would really have nothing to do with this, right? Because it's about your soft tissue. It's not about really your muscles. It's about your ligaments and your tendons that are connecting those things. So why would muscle strength have anything to do with it? But thinking back to some of the things we talked about earlier, a lot of the pain with RSI comes from your muscles, your muscles flexing to try to protect that damaged soft tissue to keep you from moving your arms, right? Remember, we mentioned if you're using your keyboard and your wrists are bent and you're damaging that tissue, that all the muscles around that tissue in your palm of your hand and your forearms are going to be flexing automatically to try to reduce movement in that area, right? And the constant flexing in those muscles starts to build up lactic acid and burn and cause even more pain. So I guess it does make sense that if you have stronger muscles in your wrist and a stronger grip, that they're going to be able to tolerate that flexing a little bit more and you'll have reduced pain. Now, when I was searching to see if there was actually any evidence of grip strength having anything to do with wrist health, I stumbled upon this really nice email archive at University of Nebraska where a bunch of musicians are talking to each other about all these pains they're experiencing, pains that are related to them playing their instruments and practicing for, for several hours a day. This is RSI, right? Now, they didn't really mention RSI, but it, it is RSI. They're playing their instruments. They're bending their fingers. You know, some were violinists, so they have some shoulder pain going on of holding their arms up. But a lot of them were complaining about finger pain, so pressing down on the strings. And if, you, if you've ever played a guitar or anything like that, you know you need to bend your fingers in a lot of weird ways in order to play chords. And at first, it can be really painful. And if you do it a lot throughout the day, practicing, for example, then you're going to start getting really sore and probably start experiencing a lot of symptoms. Well, in this email archive, not only are they complaining about the pain they're feeling, but they're also talking about things that their doctor has told them to do. And the number one thing that they mentioned that helped them reduce the pain in their hands was using a grip trainer. And a grip trainer, you might have seen them, they were really popular in the 80s. They're handles that you squeeze that provide resistance, and you could get varying levels of resistance and keep squeezing, and it's going to build up strength in your hands. So people on this email archive, musicians who have experienced RSI-related pains, came to the conclusion that using these grip trainers reduced their pain and actually allowed them to play even better than they could before they started experiencing pain. So that's pretty cool, right? I wouldn't say that's a scientific study or anything, but it's definitely a positive data point. Now, another study I found, and this is a scientific study, is from the College of Amsterdam. Some students went out around the Netherlands surveying people and found 410 people that work at least three hours a day in front of the computer for at least three days a week, and those people have complained about RSI-related pains in the last two weeks. So these are people who use a computer 
whether for their job or not for their job, but they use a computer a lot and they've complained about pains either in their wrists, their fingers, or their neck, or their shoulders. Then they took all those people, they gave them a survey, and they had them describe where their pain is located and the severity of the pain. After those surveys came back, they then took all 410 people and took the next four weeks to measure all of their grip strengths. They sat them down, they grabbed what's called an isometric hand dynamometer, which is basically just a grip trainer, but it has a gauge on top that measures the amount of pressure that you're able to supply to the grip. And they had everyone squeeze the grip as hard as they could and hold it for two seconds, and then they write down the recording. The dynamometer measures in both kilograms and pounds of weight. Now, they're in the Netherlands, so obviously they used kilograms for this study, but I'll convert them to pounds if you're not as familiar with kilograms. So the results were actually super interesting. The people that reported a high amount of pain in their wrists and in their fingers, so the people who had computer-related RSI, averaged 35 kilograms of grip strength with an 11-kilogram standard deviation. That's 77 pounds of grip strength with a 24-pound standard deviation. Not too bad, right? But the people who did not report RSI-related pains in their wrist and their fingers, these are people who only experience pain maybe in their shoulders or in their neck, they had no hand-related pains, Average much higher in their grip strength. They had a 39-kilogram average with a 9-kilogram standard deviation. In pounds, that's 86 pounds average grip strength and 19 pounds standard deviation. So the people who did not have stress-related pains in their hands averaged almost 10 pounds greater grip strength, and they had a tighter standard deviation. So they were consistently stronger than those that did have hand-related stress pains. So this study concluded that those with higher grip strengths are less likely to experience stress-related pains in their hands. Now, I'm not really sure if this proves anything because this could be more of a correlation than a causation, right? Perhaps people who have stronger grips do a whole bunch of other things that also help them prevent RSI. But, you know, it is kind of leaning in the right direction. It does kind of back up what we also saw on the University of Nebraska email list. So I'm going to go ahead and say that grip strength does help prevent RSI, just because. Why not, right? So how can we improve our grip strength? We've done all the other things, and now we're just kind of, we're just messing around at this point, but how can we improve our grip strength? Now, you mentioned in the beginning, Jonathan, that you work out at the CrossFit Pearl District, which just so happens to be the exact same gym that I work out, and I know exactly who you are, so that's awesome. So we already do a lot to improve our grip strength, and I'd say there's not really that much more we need to do. We're lifting up really heavy weights off the ground using the barbell. We're hanging from the pull-up bar, doing like knees to chest or toes to bar or doing pull-ups. We're grabbing kettlebells and swinging them around. Our grips are getting a great workout. But if you're not the kind of person that's doing that kind of stuff, lifting heavy weights, then there are definitely other things that you can do to increase your grip strength. The exercises in the workout of the week this week are going to help with your grip strength. Also doing things like handstands, bridges, wrist stretching. That's going to really help the muscles in your wrist. It's also going to help your grip a little bit. You can also do things just like walking home from the grocery store and carrying your groceries in your hands instead of over your shoulders. You got to squeeze your grip the entire walk home. But if you really, really want to get competitive, there are people out there that do nothing but train their grips. And these guys sometimes call themselves captains of crush. And by far the most popular way to train your grip is to use captains of crush hand grippers. 
These are stainless steel grippers that won't break. They're $22, and they come in 11 different levels of difficulty. The easiest gripper you can buy from Captains of Crush is 60 pounds. Now, remember that study in the Netherlands said that most people had 79 pounds or 86 pounds of grip strength. So 60 pounds isn't that much. That would really only be like a warm-up, right? But the other weights they have, 80 pounds, 100 pounds, 120 pounds, 140 pounds, 167 pounds. It keeps going on and on and on until you get to the topmost difficult hand gripper. It's called the level four. It's 365 pounds of pressure required to close that grip. This gripper is so difficult to close that only five people in the world have been known to actually close it. And they have a whole certification process you can go through just to prove that you can close this gripper. The most recent person to close a level four Captains of Crush hand gripper that's 365 pounds of resistance is Magnus Samuelson. And he did it in 2004. Now, Magnus is interesting because he's one of those guys that does nothing but trains his grip. He's a former World's Strongest Man contest winner, and he competes competitively at arm wrestling. He's a master at training grips. I put a link in the show notes to a video of him talking about all the things he does to train his grip. He, of course, mentions the grippers, and he gives a demonstration of himself closing them, but he also talks about other exercises you can do at home or in a gym to strengthen that forearm and that grip. So if you really want to get into this, check out that video. Like I said, there's a a link in the show notes and see all the stuff that you can do to make your grip stronger than anyone else that you've ever met. And that's really all I have to say about RSI. If anyone has any other experiences or recommendations, please leave a comment at healthyhacker.com slash seven. And if you have a question for another episode, send it my way at healthyhacker.com slash voicemail.